Welcome, everyone, to the first ever episode of the LA Online Film Critics Society weekly show right here at the Popcorn Network. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movie. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive, everybody. Here we go. All right, guys. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first ever episode of the LA Online Film Critics Society weekly show here at the Popcorn Network. We are so happy to be here, and we have some awesome people to be here with me for my first ever episode. Um, I just want to tell everyone right off the bat that this show is going to be much different than a lot of other shows that you see on the uh, Popcorn Talk Network. We're going to have critics from our organization. That's the LA Online Film Critics Society. They're going to be coming in every single week. We're going to have a whole bunch of different people. We're going to have different personalities. And it's going to be a very interesting variety show. Uh, How it's going to work is we're going to have a movie pick of the week, which is something that we used to announce on Twitter and Instagram. We're actually going to bring that over to the show first. Then we're going to talk about the Indie Spotlight, which is where we're going to talk about movies that are independent films, clearly. And we want to talk about these movies because we we notice that a lot of talk is always about studio films and we want to shine a light on some of the smaller independent films then we're going to move on to something called a retro rewind which we're going to talk about a film that's not brand new that might be on dvd might be on blu-ray might be streaming and that's going to be something that is all individually picked and no one's going to know what that is prior to this show and then finally we're going to have a special topic or special topics there's actually going to be three of those this week on this show and what what it's going to be is going to be something related to the film industry it might be film news it might be an interview we might have someone in here from time to time doing an interview we might talk about film festivals a whole bunch of stuff so whoo that was long i'm sorry about that um now i want to turn it over to my first two guests on this show and that is nestor and rama rama why don't you kick it off what up everybody this is rama from ramascreen.com youtuber entertainment blogger thank you for having me scott you're welcome. Yeah. How about you, Nestor? My name is Nestor Ventancor. I'm an entertainment journalist. I'm a film critic. I'm the owner of DesdeHollywood.com, the website, and Nestor Cine, the YouTube channel. It's an honor for me to be here, Scott. And I want to say, first of all, that this accent is not fake. This is my <laughs> accent. I'm not trying to sound exotic or like sexy or anything. It's just the way guys. <laughs> Very <Lovely>. nice. <laughs> Very nice. You sure? Are you yes. sure, though? <laughs> okay. Carry on. Uh, just, just also a little piece of information. So a little bit about the LA Online Film Critics Society before we jump into the show. Um, I, I founded the organization back in late of 2016. I made a phone call to Scott Mance, who is the president of the organization, asked for his involvement in it. And from there, we now have 35 different members. We're very proud to be one of the most culturally diverse critics groups, not only in Los Angeles, but I feel in the entire United States, and I'm very proud of that. 
Yeah, I mean, and to us, you know, it's uh, amazing in, in, in a time that for so many people, the sense of belonging is not there. You know, you feel like, where is my place? You know, where do I belong? For somebody like me, it's, it's very, very special because it is hard sometimes to not only uh, do what you love, you know, but to be able to connect with your colleagues and to interact and to grow and to networking. And something like this, to me, has been amazing so far. So thank you so much. Agreed. You're welcome. You know, uh, it's a home for underrepresented voices. So thank you for providing that one for us. No problem. Yeah. And I, I just I don't think I've ever told you this in person, but Ashley showed me the video that you made about what the critic group meant to you. Yeah. And I, I don't think I ever told you how much that meant to me and everyone else because I, I you get you get what we were going for. There, this this organization, this show, it, it is it's just a celebration of. of culture and diversity and opinions like you said underrepresented voices um you know there's no women on this this first episode next week there'll be two women on this episode there might only be two women there might sometimes just be me and one other person there might be four of us here so we're gonna really mix it up we hope you like it um leave us feedback let us know follow these guys follow the 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 critics group on (laughs) twitter and instagram we really really appreciate it so how, how we're going to run this show is that we're going to start first uh, with the movie pick of the week. And let me tell you how we, we go about this. So we as critics, we get to see movies a little bit earlier than most people. And what we do is we have our own, fi- uh, our own private Facebook group. And in our Facebook group, what we do is we vote on what movie coming out this week that we want to nominate as the movie pick of the week. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's tough. It depends. Sometimes we're always going for the studio movies. Every once in a while, we're giving some independent movies some love. So what is it going to be this week? So before I get into this, uh, I want to announce what movies actually are coming out and which ones were eligible to be part of this. So for our mainstream releases, we had The Spy Who Dumped Me, we had Disney's Christopher Robin, we have Fox's The Darkest Mind, and I think this is a religious studio who put this out, The Death of a Nation, which I don't even know what the heck that is, and nobody at this table has seen it, so that's a good (laughs) sign for that movie so far. Um, In the little independent film world, there were three major releases that came out, Uh, Nico, uh, 1988, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, and A24 uh, released a little festival darling called Never Going Back. So we put this to a vote, and the winner of... The movie pick of the week this week is Christopher Robin. Yeah! Where's the music? <laughs> Woo! All right. Um, so, Christopher Robin, um, we all got to see this movie, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to shut up for a little bit because uh, I'm not used to talking this much. <laughs> Guys, take it away. Uh, share your thoughts on Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin, I mean, it is interesting. I, I didn't grow up with this uh, property when I was uh, a kid. And when I saw the trailers, I didn't like them, especially the first trailer. It felt like a Saturday Night Live sketch, you know, of what a inspirational Disney movie is supposed to be <laughs> with the main character, you know, lost and doing, uh, saying, what do I do? What do I do? And then you have the... <laughs> 
the creature there, you know? And I was like, okay, guys, what is this? So I went with low expectations, and let me tell you, there are two movies for me, okay? You have the movie with the human characters and the movie with the animated characters. The first 20 minutes, you don't have the magical creatures. And it's pretty rough because the script, it is very on your face, very simple. And sometimes you see these kind of adaptations of classical tales, but they have been updated, like Paddington, you know, the the two Paddington movies. This is the classical tale. This is a very old school, very simple tale with one simple message. Family and friend is way more important than working and studying that we have seen so many times. So the movie, I mean, it's an hour and 45 minutes long, and it keeps going around the same thing with a dialogue that is too uh, cartoonish, too clunky, too evident. So the magical creatures don't only come to the rescue of the character, but also of the audience, because everything gets better in the second half. There's more action. There is more comedy. Uh, you have heartwarming moments. Everything works better. And I don't know why you have that disparity between the dialogue of the humans and the dialogue of the creatures. The creatures are awesome and they are irresistible and they're super sweet. But the humans are more cartoonish than the cartoon characters. Interesting. You. How about you, Rama? Well, uh, Coming into the screening, I also had some low expectations about it because, um, you know, it's like the Disney's like, okay, you like Dumbo, right? Okay, here's live action Dumbo. Like, <laughs> you like you like all these animated classics, right? Let's let's make live action versions of all of them. So I was like, oh, okay, here's another one. <laughs> so that's what I thought. Um, but I, I I didn't hate the movie, but I didn't think it was great either. Um, I think uh, I I tweeted uh, tweeted this the other day that it, it if it had been way more or any more of a goody two shoes a high school jock would give him the wedgies it was so it was was so good hearted it was like it's guilty of being way too Disney at least at least for me I was like it's very straightforward you know what you're getting like um, and of course the 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 cuddly animals are the the main stars so the the, the human characters did what they're supposed to do so I wasn't really expecting much more of them so it was like uh, so after the screening it's like yeah I liked it but next you know that that was my my reaction yeah, um, I'm kind of with both of you guys. Um, yeah. it, it's funny because um, that's what's great about critics groups, by the way, mm. is that everyone's opinion is different. So it's, it's, you, you're going to watch this show, and, and we're all going to give it like mediocre reviews, and you're going to say, how is it the movie pick of the week? And it's because it's not just us that are voting. It's, it's going to be very interesting every week because some weeks the people who are going to be on this panel are going to love it and they're going to, you're, going to, you're going to see that. And there are times people are going to be like, oh, I guess so. You know, we're lucky Scott Mance is not here, was not here the week, the week when uh, Han Solo came out because he had uh, quite, a, quite a bit to say about that movie. But um, I'm with you guys. Uh, I, I feel like whenever the humans were on screen, I just didn't care. Mm. But... Whenever Pooh and Igor and Eeyore and Piglet and Owl came on screen, it was magical. Mm-hmm. And it, it, for me, very similar to you, like I knew this character growing up. I, I'm, you know, I grew up here in the States. I watched Winnie the Pooh, but I wasn't like a diehard Winnie the Pooh fan. But there is something special about this character. There's something timeless about him. And I feel like whenever he's on screen, it elevates this movie so much. 
But Ewan McGregor tries the best he can. It's not really his fault. No. Um, it's not uh, Haley Atwell's fault mm. why it's not that great in terms of the humans. It's just that it doesn't have that setup like Paddington where they're kind of introduced right away. And you just you just don't care. Like the, the story feels second place to the animals, to the to Pooh Bear and the hundred acre wood. Yeah. Like it just it just feels secondary. And as a result, it's hard to care about the humans. So the movie drags, it's dull, it's boring whenever the animals are not on screen. Yeah. But when they're on screen, it's like the movie goes from like a five to like a nine and then like back down to a six and then sometimes an eight. It just it's like all over the place. And it's really kind of hard to like grade this movie because on one hand I want to say I loved aspects of this film. Mm-hmm. And on other on the other hand, I'm like half of this didn't work. It felt like two different movies. Like you pointed that out. I agree with you. It feels like two separate movies. By the end of the movie, I definitely wanted to buy, you know, poo stuffed animals, that's for sure. So if right. that's, that's the intention. Merchandising. <laughs> Disney. So We're good at that. <laughs> that was the point of the movie. Yeah, right? exactly. So, that's what it was. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> buy the Winnie the Pooh doll. Disney store, twenty one ninety five. Bring the kids. And compared to other Disney live action adaptations, you don't have original songs, you know. For example, oh. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. I mean, imagine that movie without songs. We're talking about something very different. So you don't have that to kind of give it that extra punch that you need for the story. But the thing that you were mentioning about Winnie the Pooh is a character that it's like a mix of Yoda and Mr. Miyagi. He's yeah. sharing these, you know, bites of wisdom that are timeless. You know, they're talking about a simple life, enjoying life. It's, it's like a, a Taoist philosophy, you know, yeah. action through inaction. Yeah. So he's amazing. Through the comedy of the fish out of water uh, side of the movie, especially on the, on the second part, and he's very heartwarming when he's kind of trying to be this guy to Christopher Robin. Yeah. I, I I think the special effects in this movie, the computer-generated animation, I think it's really great. Um, it, it The movie, in a lot of ways, did remind me of Paddington. I, I actually, in my tweet, I actually said, like, it's Paddington light, because that's what it reminds me of. It's like, you can't help but fall in love with those characters, but the difference between Paddington and this movie is that you love the human characters mm-hmm. in Paddington, and you don't really love the human characters here. But um, what what are your guys' take on the whole uh, voice casting? You love that they use the original man of the hour in this, Jim Cummings, to be the voice of Pooh and Tigger. Yes, love Jim Cummings. He's a legend. So ha- having him back again instead of you know what other studios would do, like replace with an A-lister just for Star Wars. Jack Black, sake. right? Yeah, Jack Black. <laughs> so I'm glad they go with Jim Cummings. Uh, and the, the rest of the other supporting cast did great too. You know, Brad Garrett as Eeyore stole many of the scenes. But I, I do have a bone to pick about the CG part, the, the design. Is it just me and my eyes playing tricks on me? But where are the stripes on Tigger? I don't see much ah, of the stripes. They're yeah. very faded, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't the point on that to show that they were worn. Oh. Because that was one thing that Mark Forrester did like say. Like they aged? Yeah, like okay. they aged. That you were supposed to feel like these creatures were older. Okay. And that okay. they were, you know, played with. And that everything, that they weren't fresh out of the box or whatever. That you makes know, sense. It's also very weird thinking about that. Because the movie does a very poor job of actually setting up these characters 
Like, we don't have, like, any real origin behind them. So someone like yourself, who doesn't really know these characters, you're just like, oh, here's him as a kid for five seconds, and now we're going to him as an adult. It's like, okay, like, I hate when movies do that, like, where they bank on people knowing the characters. Uh Like, you need to realize that everyone in your audience may not know what this is. Sure, sure. So that's that's another issue I'm, I have with I'm it. I'm talking about the, the technical aspect. You know, the photography for me was just too dark. I think... I yes, think, I it think was a little too going, gothic, right? I think they're going for, like, uh, where the white things are. Kind of oh. naturalistic vibe. But it felt like a period piece from, I don't know, the middle of the 19th century or something. It felt like the darkest hour. It's like, okay, uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill is going to show up. We're going to fight them on the streets. <laughs> what is this? Uh, so no surrender. <laughs> that was kind of an old choice. That kind of photography so... Dramatic and so dark. It was like the X Files, you know. People, you you could see just half their faces. Their faces. So it was weird. Yes. What would you give it out of ten? I give it a six. I mean, especially because of the second half. I think that the movie delivers that sweet as honey brand <laughs> of, of Disney. Yes. Seven out of ten, cause, just because it did its job. Me too. I would yeah. go seven out of ten too. I I, I feel like. Even though I had a lot of problems with the movie, like you said, it's it's just the heart and soul is those characters. And whenever they are on screen, they just elevate the film so much, and you just can't help but fall in love with them. They're so damn adorable. Damn, damn you, Disney. Twelve ninety nine on sale now at Disneyland. All right. Disney's going to love this episode. <laughs> All right. Moving into the indie spotlight section. I feel like we need to have like music. Indie spotlight. Um, so for you guys, uh, what are your picks for indie spotlight? Uh, let's start with you, Nestor. Uh for me, it's going to be The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Uh, this is a film that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, premiered at Sundance. It was yes. the winner of the uh, jury prize. And I think that is a good movie. I mean, it tackles a very important subject. The story is about this girl in 1993 that is forced to go to this gay therapy conversion center. And that is something that it is still going on today, and that's uh, pretty horrible. And we follow... Chloe Grace Moretz, she plays the, the, the main character, and we go through, I mean, the movie is trying to um, put us, put these centers on, on the spotlight and question what they are doing. We don't see anything that extreme like electroshock therapy or anything like that, but it's kind of this psychological abuse. It's about this brainwashing, trying to force you to reject yourself and trying to paint everything that is natural and is sexual as evil. And they are doing it with this kind of pseudoscience, mixing uh, Freudian uh, psychoanalysis with all good uh, Catholic guilt. You know, it's like, there is something wrong with you. We have to work on you. You are broken, and we're going to try to fix you. And the movie explores the consequences of that of rejecting yourself so much and where that can lead a, a person and a young person. So I think that all the acting is good, the script is good. At the beginning, the antagonist, the, the doctor in the, in the film, in the story, they can feel a little bit over the top and mm-hmm. cartoonish, but at the same time, we are living in a reality today that feels out, out, 
of a bad script, you yes, know, yes. with characters walking around. If you see those real life people in a movie, you say that's <laughs> terrible, that's bad writing. But you have people that are very cartoonish in real life, so I didn't have a problem with that. And again, I think that the movie has a an important message. It invites empathy, acceptance of others and yourself. And in, in a world where we have still today gay people being not just discriminated but even killed around the world and in this country even a little bit of of, of that understanding in a film like this I think that is important to, to get yeah did you see it Rama? I have not I got invited but I hadn't the chance to well I saw it at Sundance okay and I, I felt differently than you um, it was one of my most anticipated films at Sundance and I, I am a big fan of Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, I think she's an incredible actress. She hasn't been picking the best roles as of late. And I do feel like this was a step in the right direction. Um, from what I understand, it's based on a very popular book. Mm-hmm. And I saw this movie with someone who was ecstatic about the book. Like someone who was like a diehard fan of that book. And he was the one who, you know got me into this movie and wanted me to see it with him and he was so devastated when this movie ended he said oh they took out every you know half the stuff in the book is not there and I felt like when it was being serious it was really good but then sometimes they threw in some comedy and the comedy just didn't hit for me. Mm. So it it felt very uneven, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it was a bad movie just because of the fact that, like you said, it has important messages. It's, it's, it's talking about a very important theme that it's kind of mind-boggling is still going on today. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like... There was something missing. You know, we, we, we often talk about this as critics, that when we watch a movie, that there's something missing from it. Um, and I think for me was that it didn't have that emotional punch that I was looking for. I wanted to kind of walk out of this movie and either be, like, devastated or in tears. And I just kind of, like, it ended, and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this is reality. Like, a lot of independent films actually suffer from this very like broad like cut to black we're we're driving away the end I agree. you know yeah i agree and i mean the only thing i could complain about and and, and i see your points is the fact that maybe the protagonist uh, she could have shown a little bit more of vulnerability you know there are moments that she's she's the audience surrogate so she's always like reacting to oh this is crazy all the time and I wish she would show less immunity to what is going on because it's like okay she will never be broken by these people you, you, you never have the sense of she's on the brink of sanity or you know um, emotional uh, health so I was uh, craving for a little bit more of that but in general I think that the movie at least brings to the table something that is important and is the second coming of age story of the year that is about a gay protagonist with Love Simon and then closer to the end of the year we're going to have Boy Erased so I think that you know are, are those steps in the right direction yes I agree Rama what is your pick for this week uh, Never Going Back 
Uh, it's also, I think it also premiered at Sundance, it did. right? Yeah. It did. <laughs> you were there, probably. Uh, it's like, I'm spoiled. I will admit it. I go to these festivals. Have you seen this one? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, well, I did. I'm quoted in the Red Band trailer for it. So, yes. Um, which was interesting because, spoiler alert, I was lukewarm on the movie. Oh. So. <laughs> Okay. I was quoted on the purple band that never came out. Just, <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> Trust me, when they when that one and listen, they ask for every time you go to a festival, every time I go to a screening, people ask for quotes. Okay. Yeah. Half the time I never know when it, if they're gonna use them and it comes as a total surprise. Other times when they use them, sometimes I'm like why? Why for this one? Wasn't there someone like who liked this movie more than me? I'm, I'm, I'm not. Listen, yes. keep doing it. I love it. You're, you're I'm, a sister, I, 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 but Jesus, I know. Anyway, I, I, I just, I like. There is a level like of that where I always feel bad. Like it's like there was someone who probably li- liked this movie a lot more. And we we talk about this a lot. Me and Ashley is that. <laughs> There is a very unfair nature of this. Now I'm going to go into the political section of the show, where there are a, even in pull quotes, there is a lack of voices in pull quotes. My wife and I can write the same review, like we can write a review for Goodbye Christopher Robin. We can send it to the studio. We can send quotes in. Outside, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to throw anybody underneath the bus. Um, Outside of one studio... Most other people always favor me. Okay. And I, I, and this is amazing that people think like, oh, you just want the credit. You just want pull quotes. It's like, (laughs) I don't because my wife is writing the same review. She writes better than I do. I will admit that right on this show. And they decide to use me instead. And then I also wonder like for people like yourselves, like it's amazing. There is just no diversity representation in pull quotes, it, it is it is the same like four or five Jews and a bunch of other other white guys who are quoted for it. And I know I'm you know I'm, I'm very raw. People people either like that or they don't like it like that about me. But I'm very straightforward, um, and I call it as it is. But I, I would love to see more voices in there. And let me you tell know? you, even for Latino movies, yeah. I go to see a Latino film. I'm Latino. Yeah, and I give them my reaction for them to quote if they want. And you never see the reaction of a Latino outlet, even when they when they play it, the trailer in Spanish on a Spanish language TV channel. It's always the same main outlets. It's bizarre. Yeah, Peter Travers, man, he must like <laughs> he, he goes at home. He's like, let's say uh, this is quote two thousand five hundred and forty three. All right, great. We love you, Peter. Yes, we love Peter. Sorry, um, but no. I, let, let's you know. I just want to you know. This is this group is is all about yes. inclusion and diversity and celebrating all of us. So you know, this is just a, a wake up call to studios. You know, if, if there's there's other voices out there, you don't always have to pick the same ones. And uh, there's a lot of great. There's we have 35 members. You can pick from a lot of those different members, and they're all great. So there you go. <laughs> Um, okay, so anyway, for never going back, um, the two girls are great in the yeah. movie. Uh, the rest of the movie, I don't know about. <laughs> I, I, but it's your pick, so you talk talk about. It. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick and straightforward. Basically, I liked it because it's a celebration of a bunch of idiots. These characters are basically stupid, and the comedy is not like you know raunchy or you know, rolling on the floor hysterical. Um, 
Augustin Frizzelli, I think the writer director. Yes. You know, her comedy relies on like uh, us feeling baffled at the the poor choices that these characters make when they could actually make decent choices instead. So I like it's like no, why did you do that? <laughs> but they go there instead. So I like that, and I think this is just one of those movies where for those evenings where if you want to be easily amused without having to try too hard for it. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, I would watch this, and I think it's it's on demand, right? DirecTV on demand is how we can see it, and it's in a few theaters. I believe so. A twenty four. It's it's the it's the way to see it. You yeah. know, um, I don't think the movie. Um, I'm not going to say it's not worthy of going to see it in the theater. If I would say like maybe a matinee. Yeah. But it feels like a streaming movie. Yeah. yeah. It feels like a streaming I movie. I agree. I agree. Um, the movie that I just want to mention really quick. Um, is eighth grade, which is uh, Bo Burnham, uh, his directorial debut. Uh, it stars Elsie Fisher as Kayla, an eighth grader who's going through her final week of eighth grade. I, I saw this also. This is like Sundance week. I feel like everyone picked the movie from Sundance. This movie also premiered at Sundance, um, and I thought just this was the most realistic portrayal Agreed. of like a young girl's life. Yeah. My wife had the best quote when walking out of this movie. She said, I did not like this movie because it reminded me of being a teacher. It felt too real. (laughs) And that's the best quote I think a filmmaker can ever hear is that a movie feels too real because that's what he was going for. I want this to be nominated for Oscar. Hopefully it gets remembered during the award season. I hope so. Did you see it? Yeah, I love the movie, and I think that it's very interesting, even if you're not a teenager or even if you don't have kids, because we are all dealing with social media and the temptation of technology that gives you the chance to present a different person to the world, you know, and how do we deal with that, and who's the real me, and what is the life, what is is the real life, what is the most important life that you are living, Mm. is it you uh, in a a dark room with a with a screen, or is it people that is living with you in the in, in your house, and I think that, for example, the James Gunn situation shows us that we grown-ups are still trying to figure things out, is Mm. that how do we deal with Twitter. How do we deal with this temptation of all the time being plugged to the world and presenting a happy face or a, I don't know, shocking face or whatever? So I think that it goes beyond just, oh, let's see a cute story, whatever. It's for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think this is one of the best movies of the year. Yes. Uh, I, I think we all agree on that. And um, it, it's nice to see a coming-of-age story, not only from a female, per- you know, like told from a female Protagonist, mm-hmm. but also to take it out of high school and put it in middle school because that is yeah. also very rare, and to kind of make the dialogue feel realistic, not feel like a script, make it feel natural. Where someone goes, um, uh, uh where, where it just it seems like someone's actually talking to you, yeah. and it's so much more effective because of that. Yeah, sometimes you see movies where you see kids or young people, and you go like, "That's not how kids talk." It's like an adult, you know, or it's like you can feel the writer projecting an idealized version of themselves as teenagers. Yeah, you know, I, I like this one better than Lady Bird, for example. Ah. You know, it's a good movie, but I think this one is—I don't know—it uh, just works. I agree. Very good. Moving on to our next segment, which is Retro Rewind. Um, we started with Nestor last time. Rama, what's your pick? 
Retro Rewind. Well, this past weekend, uh, Nestor was there. I was, I, I was at the Die Hard 30th anniversary. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. Um, I always tell people, like, when they ask me, like, because I'm, I'm an immigrant, I was like, hey, how'd you learn your English first time? Like, well, John McClane taught me English. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the first mo- English movies I, I saw when I was a kid. And a thousand times of viewings later, I just still loved it. You know, he's, a, he's just a regular guy caught in the wrong time at the wrong place, you know? He's, he's not, like, muscle-bound. He's not, you know, like you know, like Arnold kind of personality. He's just a regular guy. That's what makes him relatable. Um, the sequels, I, I have other opinions about that. <laughs> but, but definitely, this is a retro, going down memory lane. Um, I can quote all the best lines. Love it, love it. And especially Yippie Kaye, I'm not going to say yes. it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Trucker. Yes, Mother Trucker. Mother Trucker. The movie's amazing. Uh, we went to this uh, 30th yeah. anniversary event. Uh, it, it was a special screening at Nakatomi Plaza. Ah. So we saw the film with the backdrop of the building where the movie we were shot so that gave it an extra flavor to the whole thing and it was fantastic I mean it reminded me how rich the movie is I mean yeah. all the dialogues and mm. even the, the the henchmen the evil guys you know they all have their quirks their little things detail that make you feel that's a human that's a character and how you connect with Hans Gruber as a, as a, as a villain is amazing the amount of humor that you have all the time and again the the little things is like wow somebody put a lot of effort on this action comedy film actually yeah thanks for bringing, for bringing that up because these days when you think of action slash drama slash comedy you know I don't know about you but they always like oh it's too heavy on the comedy or it's too heavy on the action mm. Die Hard got it just right for the balance of all those you know especially when he was talking to Al the cop you know he he, um, he hurt his feet you know, bloody feet from the from the shattered glass. It was like that was some deep moment. Like you know, he was talking to Al, uh, uh, the Family Matters guy. Yeah. Up. So that's some dramatic moment right there. And I thought you know these these days you don't you don't see that anymore. Uh, Die Hard captured that perfectly. And diversity in a very organic way. Yeah. You know, and everybody has their time to shine on screen. Exactly. Love yes. it. Love it doesn't it. feel forced down your throat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. I I don't need to say anything about Die Hard. I I mean, Die Hard is amazing, yes. I I mean, this was one of those movies that I watched with my mother throughout my life. We, we, We... my mom and I used to have movie nights, and we would always pick a movie, and we would watch it over and over and over and over again. It was movies like this. I mean, they were all over the place, but Die Hard... My mom loved action movies, and... Die Hard is like one of her favorites and I remember watching it and I, I must have seen this movie like at least 40-50 times still. So yeah. it's great. Nestor, what's your pick? Well, I mean, talking about events and I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that is watching right now that they don't have the chance to go to these cool events here in LA yeah. and I'm like, damn you critics! But <laughs> I mean, we have to take advantage of this. I went to Joe's in concert. Oh, that was my first movie concert. You know, you go to, for example, in this case, the Hollywood Bowl, and you see the movie while the orchestra is playing the the score, and that gave the the movie a a complete different. 
life for me. I mean, for starters, you think about the power of cinema. You know, you have hundreds of people gathering together, not just to kill a couple of hours, you know. It's not about that. It's about a celebration. Let's see this again. Let's see with other people. Let's come together. Let's bring a new generation into this. You have kids, family, everybody enjoying this film at the same time. You had a chance to gasp at the same time that everybody is like, whoa! So that was a very awesome. magical experience. And David Newman was conducting. I mean, John Williams wasn't there, but still, you know, you, you can enjoy the, the score and the work. And the film, well, I can tell you, I mean, it's a mix of comedy, action, horror, adventure, drama. Everything works. And it's funny because there was an intermission, you know, pretty much at, uh, at the, a half point of the movie. And that gave me the chance to see how different the two halves are. The, the first one on the island, is everything is very effervescent. And there's a lot of people walking around and there's always a lot of energy and dialogue. And then you have the rest of the film on the ship that you have just three characters. And you can just imagine a young Steven Spielberg dealing with the constraints uh, of this claustrophobic location and taking advantage of every angle, every place in that, uh, that, that was just amazing. And on top of that, you have a shark that is a practical shark. I know that it didn't work all the time, but when it did, <laughs> and you see that thing going under the water, it's massive. That is amazing. That is amazing. So, in honor of the Meg being released uh, <laughs> in the upcoming days, I had to go with Jaws. <laughs> okay, okay, and Jaws. Needless to say, yeah, amazing. I don't need to talk about that either. Um, <laughs> I think I saw Jaws again the other day, and, and I agree with what uh, everything that Nestor said. And I, I don't know if you could probably disagree, but it, there's only like a few shark scenes. I, I can only count like maybe four or five, but most of the meat of the movie was this interaction between Roy Scheider, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss, yes. and the, the captain. You know, when, yeah. when he had that long story, I was like, yeah. wow, you're so engaged with that. It's it's more about that at least for me that that was like no that's how yeah. that's that's what makes it so great. Yeah. It's very little has to do about the shark and yes. showing the shark. It's just the buildup of okay, the shark's coming. What's going on in everyone else's lives? Yeah, and that's where that's why this movie's so timeless too. Is yeah. that anyone could watch it? It's still being talked about because it's so great. Um, so we don't have that much time left, so maybe this show might actually have to go down to three topics instead of four, <laughs> which is good to know. First episode ever. So we, we, you know, we're working out the kinks. Um, for my pick for this, um, it's a little bit of a newer movie, but I feel I want to bring it up just because I felt like it, it, it never got its due in the movies, and that is The Founder. Which is which stars uh, Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc, who is the guy who manipulated his way into taking over McDonald's as a franchise. Um, I feel like this movie didn't do very well because it reminded us a little bit too much of someone who may or may not huh? be in power. Um, that, that, I have no idea. I, and what and, you're I, talking and about. I feel like it, it unfortunately <laughs> came out at, at a wrong time. Um, but I think this is one of Michael Keaton's best performances. Uh, I think Agreed. he's incredible in this film. Uh, great supporting cast, including uh, Nick Offerman. Uh, the movie is actually streaming on Netflix right now, too. So, 
since we're running out of time, but we're going to do one, because I don't care. We're going to do like two minutes over. We're going to do one special topic, mm. um, and we'll just do one pick each. Um, for childhood nostalgia, childhood favorite memories, things of that nature, when it comes to movies, since we opened this up with Christopher Robin and going back to your childhood like that, what's something, what's, what's a movie that you you know, resonate with? Well, I mean, the, I think I'm pretty sure the first movie that I saw in theaters was uh, He-Man, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yes. And I love the film, but I think that I was even a critic in those days. Love because it. I remember that there were things that were very different from the cartoon. And when I saw Orko, I think is the name of, yeah. of the character, I was like, that's not Orko. <laughs> Orko doesn't look like that creature, like, you know, like a hairy ball walking around. What is this thing? Give me my money. I gave it two stars. Just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have... Even as a critic. <laughs> so, I don't know. I have that, that memory of going to that very mystical place and having a lot of fun with my brother and my mom. And then I had the opportunity, the first time I had the opportunity to talk to Dolph Landren, I I had to talk a little bit about that movie. And I even brought this Drew Strusan book, you know, this the master of, of the poster and the mm -hmm. art of the poster. And he did the painting for the poster for Masters mm -hmm. of the Universe. And, and Dolph Landren signed the poster yes. and everything. So it wasn't my, my most kind of professional journalist moment. But it's a kind of special you movie You have to for do me. it. Sometimes yeah, it's, it's special. Yeah. yeah. Rama? Well, yes. Um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, that was the movie that uh, I remember, you know, it was my dad, my mom, my little sisters and I could watch together as a family in a couch, you know. And Really? It, Terminator yeah. 2 Judgment exactly. Day. Exactly. And you know what? I did not see the first, ter <laughs> ter the first Terminator movie until years later. I was like, that was the first, you know, of, of the Terminator franchise installment that I've seen, you know, at, by, by that point. And so it's like a movie that we could watch as a family. It's just so weird. <laughs> that is so strange, Rama. <laughs> Thank you. That, that, was that's great, though. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what's your favorite childhood moment? Watching Terminator 2. Okay. All right. Come with me if you want to live. That's right. But, I mean, again, great, great. Thank you. Uh, and then for my pick yes. for this is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Woo! Uh... 1985, I remember what I loved watching the TV show, um, which actually was an HBO show first, then it went on to be a movie, and then it was a Saturday morning show. And uh, it also was my started my obsession with Tim Burton, too, because he went on to make other movies after that, like Beetlejuice, Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, and all that stuff. Um, just loved the zany weirdness of that. And it's amazing because I feel like nothing like that would ever get made today. Yeah. Like, Pee-wee was a character of the 80s. And if they tried to, like, recreate that with some other actor today, it just would fail horribly. Oh. So, uh, closing remarks. Sorry. Oh. Sorry that, I mean, this went by so quick. And uh, I guess i got to tighten things up for next time. But, you know, first episode, <laughs> we're working out the kinks. But, um 
I just want to say real quick, um, if you watch the show, uh, if you listen to it on iTunes or wherever this is streaming, you know, feel free to like, comment, share. Um, I'm also on Meet the Movie Press uh, every Friday at 9 a.m. I also do a show uh, called Black Tomatoes with Carla Renata, which airs on Sunday on Black Hollywood Live. And you guys, where can we find you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Rama. You can find me at youtube.com slash ramascreen1. And, of course, for social media, just follow me on Instagram, ramascreen, R-A-M-A-S-C-R-E-E-N. See you there. <laughs> I do different things for Spanish language uh, TV channels and shows like Hola Cinema on Cinema online uh, on my website desdehollywood.com YouTube channel Nestor Cine and you can find me on Twitter as Nestor Cine N-E-S-T-O-R C-I-N-E I follow him I follow you <laughs> I follow all of you I follow you I follow all of you that sounds yes, kind of creepy but. yes oh. very much so as I'm doing it like in a creepy voice yes um, well that's it for the first ever episode of the LA Online Film Critics Society weekly show here on the Popcorn Talk Network thank you for watching like comment and subscribe and share this video we will be back next week with another episode thanks so much for watching from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com the views expressed I'm here are those of the host and this has been a presentation of the popcorn, of the popcorn talk, talk network. network or its owners or principals